Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we repair weird and wonderful science in your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, I'm joined by Samantha Floriani from Digital Rights Watch and Erin Turner from Choice Magazine to talk about the right to repair. But first, here's news of repairing cognitive decline. Guts Repair Brains Researchers at the University College Cork in Ireland have confirmed that faecal microbiota transplantation, transplanting a sample of the microbiome from the gut of the young to the old, reverses cognitive decline in mice. Previous research at Nanyang Technological University in Singapore in 2019 first showed this effect. Also in 2019, Research from Shanxi Medical University in China showed that transplanting a sample of the microbiome of elderly mice into young mice caused cognitive decline. A microbiome is a colony of trillions of bacteria and fungi and other microorganisms that live together in a particular habitat. We live in symbiosis with the microbiome in our gut. We feed it, and it feeds us. A healthy microbiome in your gut supports everything from digestive health to immune system function, with research suggesting that they affect all kinds of brain function and inflammatory responses. Cognitive decline involves the loss of memory, slowed responses, loss of hearing, and inflammatory symptoms in the brain. In humans, there are detectable changes every decade as an adult. Joshua Hartshorn from Boston University College and Laura Germain from Harvard University documented how different cognitive abilities peak and decline at different ages. Information processing speed peaks around 18 to 19, then immediately begins to decline. Short-term memory gets better until around age 25, then it remains fairly steady until it begins to decline around age 35. Memory for faces peaks at 30 then starts to gradually decline. From 35, your short-term memory begins to weaken and get worse. Emotional understanding peaks in your 40s and 50s. Vocabulary abilities continue to increase into your 60s. Crystallised intelligence, or accumulated knowledge and facts about the world, peaks in your 60s and 70s. In the mouse study, faeces from the young mice were blended with water into a slurry and transplanted into the elderly mice with a feeding tube twice a week. After eight weeks, the microbiome of the elderly mouse gut resembled the microbiome of the young mouse gut. In humans, faecal microbiota transplantation from a donor who's been screened for known transmissible diseases is usually done by an enema. After harmful gut bacteria are eliminated from the recipient with antibiotics. It's used to treat Clostridium difficile infections and irritable bowel syndrome. 
Professor Thomas Barodi at the Centre for Digestive Diseases in Sydney is working on a capsule with a cultivated microbiome sample that would deliver the microbes to the exact place they're needed and nowhere else. People with autism spectrum disorder usually suffer gut problems. Some studies have strongly suggested that treating those gut problems helps with some disabling symptoms of autism. Aged mice are slower in rewarding tasks that they've learned and slower to learn new tasks. The young mice transplanted with aged microbiomes performed as slowly as the elderly mice. Their brains showed the increased inflammation of elderly mice, particularly in the hippocampus that controls memory. In the young to old studies, the elderly mice transplanted with young microbiomes performed as quickly and as well as the young mice. Their brains showed reduced inflammation compared to elderly mice without transplants or those transplanted with microbiomes from mice their own age. The hippocampus of the elderly mice became physically and chemically similar to those in younger mice. They could navigate mazes faster and remember their layouts accurately. Over 10 years ago, research showed that transfusing blood from young mice into old mice led to rejuvenation, and from old mice into young mice led to premature ageing. In response, some companies started offering blood transfusions from young human donors to wealthy old people in the US, without any clinical trials. Another company was offering to clean aged proteins out of elderly people's blood to make their blood more like young people's. Researchers from South Central University in China and the University of Texas in the United States have found a protein in red blood cells that can slow age-related cognitive decline and loss of hearing in mice. The team showed that depleting mouse blood of the protein Adora2b leads to faster declines in memory, delays in auditory processing and increased inflammation in the brain. The amount of oxygen in the blood also declines with age, just as brain function does, so the team hypothesized that aging in the brain might be naturally held at bay by adenosine receptor A2b, or Adora2b for short. Adenosine receptor A2b is a protein on the membrane of red blood cells which is known to help release oxygen from the blood cells so it can be used by the body. The team created mice that lacked Adora2b in their blood and compared behavioural and physiological measures with control mice. The team found that as the mice got older, the hallmarks of cognitive decline, poor memory, hearing deficits and inflammatory responses in the brain, were all greater in the mice lacking Adora2b than in the control mice. They also found that after experiencing a period of oxygen deprivation, the behavioural and physiological effects on young mice without Adora2b were much greater than those in normal young mice. It was like accelerated ageing. So they conclude that ageing in the brain is naturally reduced by Adora2b, which helps get oxygen to the brain when needed. Further testing will be needed to determine whether Adora2b levels do naturally decline with age and whether treatment with drugs that activate Adora2b can reduce cognitive decline in normal mice. The lead scientist, Dr. Zia, said red blood cells have an irreplaceable function to deliver oxygen to maintain bioenergetics of every single cell within our body. Our findings reveal that the red blood cell Adora2b signaling cascade combats early onset of age-related decline in cognition, memory and hearing by promoting oxygen delivery in mice and immediately highlights multiple new rejuvenating targets. The paper on cognitive decline across the lifespan was published in 2015 and was titled When Does Cognitive Functioning Peak? 
The Asynchronous Rise and Fall of Different Cognitive Abilities Across the Lifespan, and was published in the journal Psychological Science. Neurogenesis and prolongevity signaling in young germ-free mice transplanted with a gut microbiota of old mice was published in Science Translational Medicine in 2019. Age-related shifts in gut microbiota contribute to cognitive decline in aged rats was published in the journal Aging in 2019. Microbiota from young mice counteracts selective age-associated behavioural deficits was published in Nature Aging in 2021. And finally, erythrocyte adenosine A2B receptor prevents cognitive and auditory dysfunction by promoting hypoxic and metabolic reprogramming and was published in the Public Library of Science Biology in 2021. Are fecal transplants more or less yucky than blood transfusions to stay younger? Maybe we can ultimately get a microbiome capsule and a blood protein supplement instead. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. The right to repair. Lots of manufacturers would like us to just buy new things or at least only use their branded parts and their technicians or go without. Why can't I replace ink or batteries or parts from a third party? Why is it legal for a company to turn my router or printer or other internet device into a brick with a malicious downloaded upgrade? Is a 12-month warranty fair and legal? Samantha Floriani is the program lead from Digital Rights Watch. And Erin Turner is the director of campaigns from Choice Magazine. They join me by Zoom, and I began by asking them What are some of the problems that people have had that shows they need a right to repair? This is a lovely big debate. Something that we've encountered as part of a big inquiry into right to repair is it's actually not one issue. It's lots of really complex interconnected issues. Everything from intellectual property restrictions to something that Choice is really focused on, which is in a way we do have a right to get a repair when a product breaks under the Australian consumer law in some cases. But there are a lot of barriers to using that right. A lot of manufacturers and retailers sometimes will outright lie to you and tell you that you can only get what's available under warranty or aren't upfront about the rights that you have. And a lot of people, you know, they're not aware of them. They have trouble fighting to use them and it should be much easier. So there's a range of problems from ability to use your consumer rights, intellectual property, copyright, warranty issues. It's a fun, complex one for us. Yeah, I would agree. It's a really interesting area because it touches on so many different aspects. From a digital rights perspective, I think it's really interesting because when we often think about digital rights issues, we think about things like privacy, surveillance, censorship, which can be quite abstract ideas for a lot of people. But the right to repair, because it's grounded in hardware and the the physical world, I think it really sort of brings it into it something that is much more of an impact on people's reality in their day-to-day lives, whereas some of those other issues can seem a bit a bit lofty at times. Well, even something as simple as a warranty, which most people are very familiar with, of course, it's not that simple under Australian law. So if you're told that your TV is broken after a year and the warranty is only for a year and there's nothing they can do, 
It's not true, is it? It's not, but it's often what you're going to be told. So as part of this inquiry, Choice did some research with our members. And our members aren't ordinary Australians. They, they tend to be people who are a bit more aware of their rights and really care about their rights. But even with that, we found that when people had a broken product, a lot of people didn't get a remedy. And the main reason was that it was outside of warranty. And in some cases, maybe a few weeks or a few months or even a few years. But for a product like a washing machine, under the law, it's meant to last for a reasonable period of time. And that's actually quite a long period. We've done some estimates where depending on the product, that can be five or even up to 10 years. It's really worrying to us that manufacturers, I'd say they're lying by omission a lot of the times and sometimes outright lying about the rights that you have, particularly if they're saying, no, it's only one year or it's only under the warranty. One of the things we're calling to change is for manufacturers to be penalised if they do mislead people about their consumer rights if they don't follow through and give you a proper remedy under the consumer law because right now our remedies or the ways that businesses can operate it leaves a lot of wiggle room for them to just not tell you about what you're owed they should be much more proactive I was just going to add to that that I think that part of the issue as well is that it's really really confusing for Mm. for people for everyday people to understand and that there is this general sense or belief that if you do do anything, that you will void your warranty. So there's warranty void yeah. terms. If you get your device repaired by, you know, the little shop down the road, that you that you will automatically void your your warranty. So I know that a lot of organisations are calling for warranty void terms to be removed to, to not have those warranty void terms. But I think also just clarity around what is and isn't included in that would really help as well because there's a lot of really confusing language around that. So people just assume that they can't do anything when maybe they might be able to. Exactly. Something we're, we're hoping to see that come out of this whole inquiry process, we want a label. It sounds like a really simple intervention, but I want something on the front of your fridge, on the front of your washing machine that says, you know, this is how repairable and durable it is. Give it a star rating. And this is how many years it should last for. So, you know, when something does break, you actually have that number physically in front of you. Because when people need this information, it's often not there. Even even if it is available, it might be on a website hidden somewhere in the depths. But you need this information. Well, first of all, when you buy a product, I want to be able to tell the difference between something that will last for five years versus seven. And I will pay a bit more for it. But also when something breaks, I want that trusted independent information rather than whatever the manufacturer is going to tell me. So it's one of those things where even for a warranty, they say, you know, you need a receipt. And of course they print a receipt on paper where the ink fades within days, if not (laughs) weeks. Should warranties even be a thing when we've got a consumer guarantee law? I've told the Productivity Commission, no. (laughs) Um, Look, that's on the basis that most warranties give you a number that's radically below what you could be getting or should be getting under the Australian consumer law. It's typically a year or two years. And quite often businesses, they're making a lot of money by selling you things like extended warranties, which offer you very little, typically nothing in addition to your rights under the Australian consumer law. That's unfair. That business shouldn't exist. It's taking complete advantage of an information gap between businesses and consumers. So you know, if businesses were offering fantastic above and beyond the law warranties, be totally fine with it. But right now it's an anchor that people are using and it's leading to people underestimating what they're owed under the law. Well, particularly with extended warranties. I mean, that's, that's just a scam, surely. 
I can I think love- of so many times that I've been, you know, at the counter and they're like, do you want an extended warranty? And you get this like panic and you're like, oh no, do I? Should Could I? I? <laughs> <laughs> I've become that, tar- this is, I'm the awful choice staff member that asks, what do I get above the Australian consumer law anytime anyone offers it to me? And often it's nothing. There, there are some rare examples though. I've seen one really good one that's worth paying for. It was an extended warranty that covered you if you spilt red wine on your lounge. Yeah. And as someone, as a red wine drinker, Amazing. I was like, you know, I, I can see value in that. The, the law won't cover me. But this is, we've got, to, we've got to start distinguishing between, you know, a great wine coverage policy, which I will pay for, versus just these are my legal rights anyway. I shouldn't have to shell out for extra money for that. And if you had a star rating for repairability, what would the scale be? This is such a good question. It's something my very beautifully nerdy colleagues are working their way through and trying to think about. It's something that Choice does really well with our independent labs in Sydney. We're very good at ranking products and testing them and poking them and coming up with a formula. It depends is the answer. There's only one model of this type in the world. In France, they've instituted, it's like a five-point scale. There's five different scores that cover everything from how long a product will last to are spare parts available, is it easy to repair, all those different factors. Our view at Choice is that the best model would be something that gives an overall score, like much like your water or energy rating system. So, you know, four stars out of five, but it has to take into account a lot of different complexities. There's lots of things you can measure in that. You know, how long will the product last? Are spare parts available? You can even run longevity tests. There's a few test methods that have started to be developed in Europe that literally involve getting a washing machine and running it till it dies. Being able to have that knowledge for products that are complex that you want in your home for a long period of time I think it would be really useful. It does sound useful. On the subject of ratings one of the things that has popped up that we've been paying attention to in the digital rights space has been this suggestion of cyber security labeling mm. which the Department of Home Affairs put forward in, in their submission essentially this idea again similar to like a the energy efficiency ratings, but for cybersecurity. And so this is something that we don't actually support. Like it's something that sounds good on the, on face value, it sounds good. But the issue with when you start trying to rate or label when it comes to cybersecurity is that it takes out all of the, the context. With so much of cybersecurity risk is dependent on context. It's dependent on how the device itself is used. And which is, you know, liable to change over time without notice and new vulnerabilities are discovered and exploited all the time. So the, an idea of a rating, I think, or labeling makes sense in something like repairability or durability. But when we start talking about cybersecurity, I think we are like quite literally giving individuals and organizations a false sense of security. I guess with cybersecurity, they don't know in what way it's safer or less safe and they don't know what they would have to do to mitigate what parts it's not safe. And yeah, that's doesn't make, it's like a magic shield. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the other thing, well, amongst the many things, as you say, it's a complex issue. How much rights you should have to use third party things. So if you want to repair something, whether you have to use certified parts from the manufacturer, even for something as simple as printing, there seems to be this anti-consumer battle where if you try to get a cartridge for your printer that's cheaper but works exactly the same way and has the same ink that 
you may find that you get an upgrade on your printer and the firmware suddenly stops your printer working because you've got the wrong cartridge, whereas it worked last week. That's it. It does seem to be. There's a lot of cases around where a manufacturer might say that this is about safety or security or the quality of the product, but really when you boil it down, it seems to be about a big business using their power in a way that stifles competition and stifles options for consumers. The case that really sticks out for me is that there was a case, Caladad, um, that went through the courts in Australia recently. It was all about a company that took printer cartridges and refurbished them, literally refilled them. And there was an attempt to use intellectual property law to stop that. Now, on the face of it, having a refurbished printer cartridge sounds fantastic to me as a consumer. I'd almost prefer that because of the landfill and environmental issues. I, I personally prioritise that and I want a choice that involves not using new parts all the time. So it's a real shame when you see companies try to use current laws on the books or try to use their market power in a way that's restricting options for consumers. I think it's one of the real drivers behind this right to repair debate. What happened with that? So the good news is there was a great outcome in the courts in Australia that said, yes, they can refurbish this particular product. It's not a, a breach of trademark law. But there's still a lot of legal uncertainty around taking products that a company might say that they have a trademark over or might have certain intellectual property protections over and either repairing them or refurbishing and engaging with them. There still isn't necessarily that clarity that refurbishers and repairers need to be able to offer consumers great options. So if I was a repairer and I would I be allowed to say I can repair Apple iPhones or do I need permission from Apple to use their name in my list of services? There can be real restrictions on using a trademark and a brand, which obviously can prevent you reaching the customers you want. And in some ways that's reasonable, in some ways it's not. It's about finding that line and that balance. But something we asked a lot of consumers and we went out to choice members and supporters and we did some original polling as well as part of this whole process. And something, there's definitely some manufacturers out there making the argument that third-party repairers are unsafe or poor quality. And we just didn't get that feedback. If, you know, there are issues with third-party repairers at times. There are issues with authorised repairers as well. People had problems with both. The idea that there might be a safety or security problem, well, if there is, the way to fix that is to offer more legitimate options to grow that third-party and independent space so that you can get repairs done in a safe and secure way, but at a price that suits you and in a way that's convenient. Particularly people who live in regional Australia, there's a lot of feedback that because some companies really lock down their repair channels, that there's just real frustration. You can't get someone out to repair your dishwasher if you're a few hours away from a major town or you have to literally put your phone in the post and send it to Sydney, which feels so insecure in order to get a repair. We want more options so this stuff stops happening in Australia. Oh, there's so much in that that I want to dig into more. But one of the <laughs> one of the big things that I think comes out of what you're saying just at the end there, Erin, was this idea about the digital divide and about making technology products more affordable and more readily available. And that's two of the, the pillars of like being able to understand the digital divide that the Digital Inclusion Index measures. But there isn't a lot of talk about how the right to repair sort of fits in with that because like obviously we want to encourage manufacturers to be building 
long-lasting, high-quality products, but we also need a right to repair to encourage a robust secondary market of repairable products so that it's more affordable for people, more readily available as well. I know plenty of people, myself included, who have you know, been left in a really awful situation where, say, your laptop crashes, that's your means of income. You only have one. You don't have a backup one. You can't just pop to the shop and get, a, get one you know, to be able to work that week. And then you go or you try to go to the Apple store and it's ages away and you take so long to get an appointment and they have to send it off. All of this stuff adds up. And I think that it really exacerbates an existing digital divide in Australia because those who are in higher income brackets can be like, oh, it's fine. I'll just get a new one. Oh, it's fine. I'll just replace it rather than getting it fixed. But if you're in a lower income bracket or if you're in a regional rural area, those options just aren't readily available to you. So I think it really comes back down to like a fairness issue as well. Completely. And you're so right that wait times, I mean, it depends on the individual, but wait times can really bite. We had this one case that came through from a choice member. It was from a laptop company that didn't have repair options in Australia. And rather than authorizing a repairer in Australia or finding a local option, he literally had to send his laptop to Asia to get a repair, which is it's absurd on so many levels. This really is about like companies should be enabling more people to use these products for longer. It gives people a much better experience. That's great for the company, but it also does deal with that affordability problem, which I I think is really key in this debate. That was part one of my discussion with Samantha Floriani from Digital Rights Watch and Erin Turner from Choice Magazine about the right to repair. Listen next week for the second part of the discussion. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including... Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 Triple C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MBR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7 LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2 XFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website www.diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. 
When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.